within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. Ronald Reagan. But for this book, we could not know right from wrong. I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. Abraham Lincoln. They have sold 175 million records. They've won 22 Grammys. They had the highest grossing world tour in history. But it was his reliance upon Matthew 25 that brought Bono his greatest satisfaction as he lobbied for those who were broken and beaten down by AIDS and was able to raise millions and millions of dollars of support all because of his commitment to the word of God. The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home, St. Augustine reminds us. It ain't parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Mark Twain. The Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. In the book, The Origin of the Bible, which I can heartily recommend to you, it's, it's a very scholarly text, but easily written, and it covers everything you would ever want to know about the Bible. We read these words. Western civilization is in a severe authority crisis. Parental authority, marital authority, political authority, academic authority, and ecclesiastical authority are all deeply questioned. The concept of authority itself is vigorously challenged. Today's crisis of biblical authority thus reflects a waning civilization con consensus on issues of sovereignty and submission. Who is in charge? Simply put, who's in charge? Who can I trust? Who can I submit my life to and know that my life is going to work out, that it's going to be okay, that I'm surrounded by something that's good, that's going in the, in the right direction? Some say we are firmly in a cultural time of biblical illiteracy. There are many who believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Pause for humor. Very little bit of humor. Uh, yet, the Bible remains the most extensively printed, most widely translated, and most frequently read book in the world. Its words have been treasured in the hearts of multitudes like none other. All who have received its gifts of wisdom and promises of a new life and power were at first strangers to its redemptive message and many were hostile to its teaching and spiritual demands. In all generations, its power to challenge persons of all races and lands has been demonstrated. Those who cherish the book because it sustains future hope, brings meaning and power to the present, and correlates a misused past, past with, a, with the forgiving grace of God would not long experience such inner rewards if Scripture were not known to them as the authoritative, divinely revealed truth. Back in 2007, on the cover of Time magazine, there was an interesting article, why, should, why We Should Teach the Bible in Public School. And in that article, he quoted a 1948 Supreme Court case where Justice Robert 
Jackson wrote these words. One can hardly respect the system of education that would leave the student wholly ignorant of the currents of religious thought that move the world society for which he is being prepared. And then he warned that putting all references to God off limits would leave public education in shreds. In shreds. The author of this article concluded it with these words. What is required in teaching about the Bible in our public schools is patriotism. A belief that we live in a nation that understands the wisdom of its constitution clearly enough to allow the most important book in its history to remain vibrantly accessible for everyone. Mahatma Gandhi commented, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Five billion copies have been sold. It's available in 2,454 languages. No other book can come close to that. In 1536, William Tyndale was put to death for translating the Bible into English. Hundreds of pop songs that have been inspired have been inspired by the Old and New Testaments. The list of artists includes Elvis Presley, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, The Birds with Turn, 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 Leonard Cohen with his Hallelujah and U2. Shakespeare alludes to scripture some 1,300 times. Hemingway's Old Man and the Sea uses imagery from the Passion of the Christ. Sir Isaac Newton, a man we know as the, the father of gravity, uh, a man of deep faith, once wrote this. Gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. God governs all things and knows all that is or can be done. This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent being. This being governs all things, not as the soul of the world, but as Lord over all. The supreme God is a being eternal, infinite, absolutely perfect, Sir Isaac Newton. In the end, it's not what you know about the Bible that changes you. It's not the number of Bible studies you've accomplished that changes you. It's God who changes you by weaving his words into your mind and heart. To do that, he needs you. He needs all of us to put them inside and think about them. Then the Holy Spirit does his profound work. So why the Bible? The Bible shines a light. The Bible cuts to the chase. The Bible is the breath of God in our lives. In Psalm 119, we read these words about the Bible shining a light. This is from the message. By your words, I can see where I'm going. They throw a beam of light on my dark path. I've committed myself and I'll never turn back from living by your righteous order. Everything's falling apart on me, God. 
put me together again with your word. Festoon me with your finest sayings, God. Teach me your holy rules. This idea of, of a lamp shining on a path has been around all the way back to this psalm thousands and thousands of years ago. The other day, yesterday, as a matter of fact, I was at Ginter Park Presbyterian Church in Richmond for the graduation of my daughter-in-law from seminary, from Union Seminary. And here's the inside of, of Ginter Park Presbyterian Church, the beautiful cross and beautiful columns in this church and just lit beautifully up front. Uh, just behind the pulpit, down in the lower left-hand corner, is a symbol. It's a symbol of a lamp. There are other symbols there, a symbol of the Trinity, symbol of the Holy Spirit, the symbol of communion, symbol of Alpha and Omega. But that symbol of the lamp signifies something that has stood the test of time in Christianity and in, in Judaism, that, that God's word is a light. It's a light that shines on a path so you know where to go, so you know the way to go. It's God's word that lights that way. It's God's word that sustains that way. It's God's word that, that integrates with heart and soul and mind and being and creates something that, that we call a life worth living or a life of integrity. In Psalm 138, it's put this way. Again, the message translation. Thank you. Everything in me says thank you. Angels listen as I sing my thanks. I kneel in worship facing your holy temple and say it again. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Most holy is your name. Most holy is your word. The moment I called out, you stepped in. You made my life large with strength. Finish what you started in me, God. Your love is eternal. Don't quit on me now. I love that, that verse 8. Finish what you started in me, God. Your love is eternal. Don't quit on me now. Most holy is your name. Most holy is your word. By your words, I can see where I am going. This idea of light. The Bible is a light that we need so much in our lives. There's a great picture of this in Nehemiah chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now the backstory is they hadn't read this book, they hadn't read from this book, they hadn't listened to these words for a very, very long time. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which is made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. So there were, there were children there, children at a level of understanding the scripture. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced a square before the water gate. So you have like six hours of reading in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. 
Amen. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, and then it lists a number of Levites. It gives their names so that you know who they are, who these individuals were, who were the teachers. It says the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. There was light coming into their lives. There was light illuminating a path forward, and it was coming because the Bible is a light. And then something very unusual happened. It says in verse 9, Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. It was overwhelming them. They realized how, how far they had moved away from, from the light and from doing life the way God intended them to do life. And you have to look at lessons like this and you have to look at parables like this. This is a historical, but it's also sort of a parable for our time. If we were to look at the word of God right now, would we see that we're in alignment with it as a nation? Would we see that in the world people are following what God has asked them to do? Or are we all off doing whatever we think is right in our own eyes? You see, right after this, it says in verse 12, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made, made known to them. And I get three, three lessons from this short passage in Nehemiah 8. The Bible changes you when you weep at its words. When you read God's words and you go, this really does apply to me. This really does have the power over me that I don't think about enough. The Bible turns you to celebrate the faithfulness of God. They, they wanted to celebrate immediately after reading this. They knew they had to move to a time of celebration because of God being faithful to them. And the Bible changes you when you understand what the words are saying about life. When you understand that your life is found woven into the story of God. Your life is found as part of the, the tapestry of what God has done for thousands of years. And you realize that faith and life together is not just a pithy expression to say off the cuff, but it is actually the reality of how our lives work best each and every day. Faith and life coming together. Tim Keller, in a short talk, it's only a couple minutes on YouTube, ends his talk with these succinct words. The Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about you. It's not about making us feel better. It's not about making us able to, to control God or to fashion him in our own image. The Bible's about explaining to us the very nature of God, the deep love of God. It's about showing us the light on the path that God wants us to go so we can all go in the same direction together. And as I read him saying, as I listened to him say, the Bible's not about you, I thought, but it is about the life that we can have with the God who loves us. The Bible shines a light. The Bible is the breath of God in our lives. If we go to Paul's second letter to Timothy, we pick up these words in verses 14 and 15. But as for you, Paul's a, a mentor of Timothy. He's coaching Timothy. He's preparing him for ministry and for mission. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, 
and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then these very famous, famous verses from the New Testament, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what do you need to be thoroughly equipped to do what God needs you to do? You need teaching. You need to know the scripture. You need to know the parameters of the scripture. You need rebuking. You need to have somebody say, you can't do that. Don't do that. Stop doing that. You need correcting, which is maybe a softer form of rebuking. Maybe that's more coaching and mentoring. And you need training in righteousness. Training in righteousness is let's think together about what God would do in this situation. Let's think together about what God would do when these opportunities are put before us. And then we can get the job done. What's most interesting to me about 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where Paul actually begins this chapter. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Paul says, look around and read the signs of the times. And he says, a lot of people will give verbal or even intellectual assent to the teachings of this book. At the time of Jesus, lots of people gave verbal and intellectual assent to the teachings of Scripture. And yet, to have the God-breathed words embedded in their hearts is a whole different thing. God breathed. All scriptures God breathed. Another place in scripture would be back in Genesis where it talks about God breathed life into Adam and Adam became a living being. This book is not just a book. I order books all the time. I, I read and I read and I read. And books have always been a part of my life since I was in the fourth grade. And I won the contest for reading most books in class by my name. Where all these little book reports, like all the way out and down the hall and down the street and down to, to the grocery store. I mean, like, I just was reading all the time and writing little book reports. I have read my whole life. But I have never read anything so amazing as this book because it's God's breath. It's God's life. I'm not just reading words. I'm not just reading ideas. Somehow, mysteriously, God has put his very mind and heart and his being into these words. Without these words, without these God-breathed words, our lives just sort of spin and we go in circles and we say maybe some nice things and we do some nice things. But God's called us to so much more than that. The Bible shines a light. Why the Bible? The Bible shines a light so you know where to go. Why the Bible? The Bible is the breath of God working in our lives, working into our lives. Why the Bible? 
The Bible cuts to the chase. It always cuts to the chase. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is active and alive. Actually, alive and active. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And, and here's the key, this, these next few words. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. The word of God gets down to the most basic common denominator of how you are really thinking and, and what your true attitudes are. And it, it encourages you if you're going in the right direction because it cuts to the chase. Or it just cuts you down if you're not going in the right direction or if your thoughts are going way off out into the universe where there's a black hole on the other side of where you're going. Why the Bible? The Bible is a shaping tool that God uses to change you. Why the Bible? The Bible is a shaping tool that God uses to change the world. Why the Bible? The Bible is a shaping tool that God uses to change his church. For the word of God is alive and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. A few weeks ago, I gave you a, a two-phrase picture of the future. Everybody connected to ministry and mission. Everybody looking like Jesus. Everybody connected to ministry and mission. Everybody looking like Jesus. And, and that's, that's a, a way that God wants us to go. And that doesn't happen just because we muster the strength for that to happen. That doesn't happen just because we think we can do better. That doesn't happen just because we, we say we're going to do more of this or more of that. Everybody connected to ministry and mission, everybody looking like Jesus happens when we let God's word cut to the chase in our lives. When we let God's word be a shining light, when we let God's word be his, his very breath transforming us from the inside out, everybody connected in ministry and mission, everybody looking like Jesus, it's all coming down to what we do with the Bible in our lives. Human beings need rule books. Every country has a rule book. Every culture has a rule book. Every sports team has a rule book. But this is a different kind of a rule book because this, this, is, this doesn't tell you when you're out of bounds or how much that, that shot is or that line means, what it means. It tells you how to really live and how to embrace the right things and how to be in community with each other. The Bible shines a light. The Bible is the breath of God in our lives. The Bible cuts to the chase, so it leads us to two very simple questions. Where does the Word of God get into my life? Really. Where does it get into my life? I, I get Bible verses every day on my phone. That doesn't mean it gets into my life. Where does the Word of God get into my life? Where do I seek to know Christ more through the word of God. You see, in the end, it's not what you know about the Bible that changes you. It's not the number of Bible studies you've accomplished that changes you. It's God who changes you by weaving his words into your mind and heart. To do that, he needs us 
to put them inside and think about them. Then the Holy Spirit does his work. The Holy Spirit does his best work. I was up in Williamsburg yesterday after the, the graduation in Richmond. And after all graduations, um, you know, you've got to finish that by taking out the trash. So Travis says, Dad, we're going to go on a trash run. So we load up the van and, and we're driving by William and Mary. And so I, I took a bunch of pictures. And I've been by this one corner on Richmond Road and Scotland Street probably a thousand times, if not more. I mean, I've driven back and forth uh, past this corner. Travis and Nina and the girls used to live around the corner. It's right across the street from the, the stadium. Uh, there's the lights, uh, back and forth, back and forth. And I never saw what I saw yesterday. For the first time, after a thousand times, I never saw before in my life this sign. And this sign announces something very, very interesting if you're into balloons. It says that the first balloon flight in Virginia took place right there, right out in front of where the, the football stadium is right now. And there was a student uh, who decided he needed to do something different than just go to school. So on May the 7th, 1801, this student with the last name of Watson decided he was going to take up a balloon. And uh, he decorated it with 16 stars, one for each of the existing states. And it says, and fueled with spirits of wine, uh, which he probably needed in order to get that balloon up in the air, uh, he went up and he just thought, this is like spectacular. So I thought, you know, I like to play these little games with the girls. And so I thought, now that I know this, I'm going to play this, this quiz game. And, and I'm going to drive by here. I'm going to say, hey, girls, look out the window. You can see it and you cannot see it. It's there and it's not there. Everybody looks at it and nobody sees it. If you can tell me what it is, and I, mean, I meant this sign, if you can tell me what it is, I will give you a dollar because Grandpa here is a big spender, right? I'm going to give you a buck. But they get all excited. You don't have to do much, like a buck, even 50 cents sometimes I get away with. So I'm going to give you a dollar if you can tell me what it is. And there was silence in the van for a few moments, silence. Then all of a sudden, Sophia blurted out, God! God, you know, that's the problem with being a pastor's kid, right? So I said, no, it's not, it's not God. It's, it's a balloon launch. Uh, and then so Olivia shouted out from the back of the van, oh, I saw that sign a long time ago. It's a balloon. So she was able to get the dollar, and everybody else was, was sad. So I had to give everybody a dollar. And, 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 and then I was at the vending machine at the pool, and Travis was giving away all free free candy and popcorn and stuff to all the kids. And he opened up the vending machine because he has the keys and charge. Gave all the, made all the kids happy. Gave it all away. And everybody was happy and celebrating free candy, free popcorn, free everything, free Gatorade. Then he turned to me and he said, Dad, do you have a few bucks? <laughs> Why the Bible? Why the Bible? The Bible shines light. We need that. We need that more than we admit to. We need a light shining on where we're supposed to go. The Bible tells us that. The Bible is the breath of God in our lives. It's the very life of God woven into our hearts and minds so that we're able to, to think his thoughts. We're able to make the decisions that, that he would make. And the Bible 
always, always, always cuts to the chase. See, it's not just a book. It's God's word. It's God's life. It's right in front of you. And nobody sees it. We can look for it. It's there. But it sort of disappears. And maybe, 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 it just is God and his word after all. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your word in our lives. We need hope. We need healing. We struggle with things. We struggle with the way we think about some things. Some of those things are relational. Some of those things are just problems that have rolled on and on and on in our lives for years and years. Some of those things are deeply personal. Some of those things are, are spiritual struggles. So I pray that today we will answer those questions about how, how we allow God's word, your word, to get into our lives and how we really position ourselves to know more and more of Christ. Father, guide us, shape us, move us, squeeze us, allow us to serve you well in this world that still needs to know you deeply and personally through your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray.